0: Hey, everyone, it's Emily Murphy with Grow What You Love, a show about the unexpected stories of people and plants and growth with a capital G. In this episode, we talk with Kate Rutherford at her home and garden in Bishop, California. Kate is a professional climber, world traveler and food and climate activist. We hear her Genesis story as a Patagonia athlete and how she became a voice of the hyper-local food movement. We also get the inside scoop on Farm to Crag, the organization she co-founded that helps connect climbers with sustainable, locally grown food. We had so much to talk about, I'm afraid I couldn't fit in every story, like her memories of growing up in Alaska, crazy grizzly bears, and attending her first climate march as a kid. But you do get to hear us cook up a simple yet wonderful late summer meal after picking herbs and greens from a garden. If you hear a baby crying in the background, that's because there really is a baby crying in the background and dogs barking and birds singing and cars driving past and Jack bouncing around as we talk and cook. I recorded this conversation in October of 2019, right before Kate's first Farm to Crag event in Yosemite. This episode was made possible thanks to Herbal Essences. Herbal Essences has an all-new Potent Aloe collection containing real botanicals endorsed by the Royal Botanic Gardens Q, one of the world's leading authorities on plants. The aloe is sustainably harvested from Mexico, and aloe is a plant with superpowers, super healing powers that is. Herbal Essences' Potent Aloe products leave hair smooth and shiny. And Herbal Essences' Bio Renew Potent Aloe products are available for purchase online and in-store. You can find Potent Aloe and Hemp at target amazon walmart cvs and walgreens and argan oil and aloe hair mask at target walmart and cvs now on to my conversation with kate we dive straight into some of her climbing experiences and if you're not familiar with her some of the highlights of her career include completing the seven summits of the fitzroy skyline in patagonia free rider on el cap in yosemite and a big wall climb in greenland called war and poetry
1: sort of the shapes of rocks have really really intrigued me. They're so bold and sort of make these iconic contrasting shapes within the landscape mm-hmm. that has always been inspiring to me. I really like climbing for the beauty that you get to engage with Mm -hmm. you know it's like climbing trees you're like wow look at that really beautiful cherry tree i want to go to the top it's just the same with a rock you're like oh all right look at half dome it's the most beautiful rock in all the land i want to go to the top and so that's relatable yeah And think of all the people who aren't comfortable
0: taking their or they think they're not comfortable taking their feet off the ground and going to heights but they might climb a tree yeah or so. like
1: the Sistine Chapel. Like, you want to get up close and personal with that thing, you know? You're like, yeah, I'll take the <laughs> stairs to the top and look right. at it. Right, For Or the Statue of Liberty and wind yeah. your way to the top. So I think that's – I mean, I'm not afraid of heights, which is a gift, but that's been a big part of it for me, just to, like – it's, like, see what's on the other side, you know? Or really getting to be in those cool landscapes and wake up, like, on the side of the mountain with, like, all – Everything is just a beautiful view, and um, Mm -hmm. that's always been, like, the part of the adventure I really love, to Mm -hmm. to get to, like, really be in that beautiful thing, in that beautiful rock. Mm -hmm. In that space. Yeah. And that is what has taken me to some of the bigger mountains. You know, I sort of started climbing Colorado, and then pretty early on realized that Yosemite was the sort of world-class option for us Americans and pretty much straight out of college moved to Yosemite and I know somebody was willing to take me up my first big wall and then I ended up working on search and rescue and found some really amazing partners that pushed me and that I could collaborate with on these bigger projects like free climbing Half Dome and and then free climbing El Cap and so some of those really big hard things I got to do with this cool woman, Madeline Sorkin, and that was a pretty special thing to do at the time to climb as a team of women. You know, we were in our twenties and it was, I don't know, early two thousands and mm-hmm. there wasn't that many women climbing together and climbing big hard stuff. And so it felt um it felt extra inspiring to be like, wow, this is kinda unique. Like let's try harder
0: and you're trend setting at that point like you're paving the way for other women yeah. did you feel that way
1: like you were no not really <laughs> <laughs> but cuz we had really cool mentors too and so mm. you know we were following in somebody else's footsteps as mm. well but um but it was neat to just have this sort of feminine energy around it where it was really loving and caring and like we were trying hard and trying to do badass stuff but it was really in almost a gentle way like making sure you had the right number of snacks and oh do you want my jacket (laughs) like you know really loving and like this really um sweetness that i didn't necessarily always have with my man friends Um, Mm But then I actually really learned that everybody needs that, and um, you know I take care of the boys just as much as the girls now, and that it's Mm -hmm. you know, and I want to instill that in people. Like you need to take care of your partners, and then they're going to take care of you, and it like is so much more productive.
0: And you're out there together, and you're relying on each other. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. I mean, there there's bonds that are forged when you're. I mean, you're being safe, but you're doing something that looks really dangerous. And inherently it is if you're not prepared or you're
1: not looking after each right. other. Yeah, And I mean, they really are holding your life in their hands with that rope. And mm-hmm. I think you learn to trust somebody so fast and so much deeper. And you can really have this more unique and special deep relationship with those folks. Mm-hmm.
0: For those of us who like to keep, as I mentioned before, like to keep two feet on the ground or have a fear of heights, like, do you have a way of framing that for people who might be new to climbing who might say, no, I have a fear of heights, but I would really like to start. Where do I begin?
1: One of the interesting things about climbing that's different around the fear of heights conversation is you're not just walking to the top of the cliff and looking over and being surprised by this exposure. When you climb, you start at the ground and you just move like a couple inches at a time, or a couple feet, hopefully. But you're actually going quite slow. And for me, even now, when I get scared, I start thinking about like, well, could I reverse that? Could I climb back down? You know, so maybe it's like climbing a tree. You're like, okay, I can get to that first branch, but can I get back down? And so there's a slowness to it because it goes against gravity where it's actually quite controllable, and so once you get afraid, you can kind of stop or you can step down one move or something like that. That's why most of us climb with ropes. Um, mm-hmm. It is it is this thing that you can stop and just hang on the rope, like that's what you do when you get scared. And that's really important to learn right away as you start, you know, it's like before you even leave the ground, you should try and hang on the rope and make sure you trust it. So. Really, just putting one foot in front of the other and going really slowly, and you know, just taking the time with yourself to get comfortable with it, instead of just this shock and awe um, that will really scare people. Mm-hmm. And um, throwing yourself
0: in maybe isn't a good idea. <laughs>
1: Scrambling yeah. to the top, <laughs> baby steps, baby just steps. Like. So, so I think that's cool about climbing is that you can push yourself at any level. You know, even as a beginner, it's going to feel really engaging. And for me, like, I get scared every day and Mm. it's just at a different place. Right. That's refreshing to hear. So.
0: Yeah. So you're still, it's still this push and pull. Yeah. And this, there's this tension that you had mentioned. Right.
1: Right. And I think it's a cool part of my life is that I have this really close relationship with fear and no how it makes me feel. And I'm not as surprised by it when, you know, I'm afraid in some other realm like swimming or surfing or, you know, um, whatever it might be. But I think a lot of people don't get very close to their fear very often. Mm. You know, like, I don't know, in soccer, I, you know, I played soccer really passionately. When I was young, and I'm not sure I was afraid, necessarily, playing soccer. Maybe, Mm -hmm. getting slide tackled is kinda gnarly. But, um, (laughs) you know, like I'm really pushing my limits, and I think it's important for people to do that because it you know yourself so much better that way. And you really, I physically know myself so much better. Like I, when I'm climbing well, and I'm super well-practiced and well-trained, I know exactly when I'm gonna fall off. And exactly how much harder I'm going to have to push it to like get to the next hold. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're willing to push it and try harder than you ever thought you'd be able to. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it works. And then sometimes you're just like, no, I'm not willing to take that risk. And you scale back and whatever, throw in the towel, (laughs) take, hold me, right, right, whatever (laughs) it is. One of the really powerful parts about climbing for me is how all-consuming it is when I i am trying my hardest. I am not thinking about anything else. I'm completely engaged. It's almost like a moving meditation. You're using your mind and your body to decipher this puzzle, this sort of path that's laid out for you. And it doesn't matter what else is going on in the world. And all it is, is you trying to move across this rock. Yeah, there's, there's such a contentment and just You're just so focused and just so yourself on the rock that, you know, nothing else matters. It's really amazing how simple it is.
0: So fast forward, you have been basically a nomadic climber and traveling the world and really dedicating yourself to this practice. Because what I hear now is it's not just a sport, you're not just an athlete, it's a practice because it is like a moving meditation. And you're so lucky to have had that opportunity. And you're at a point in your life now where we are at your home, and you have a garden, and you're clearly putting down some roots. And obviously, there's been a shift in your life, and you're in this new place. So how did you get here? What was the genesis of, of Kate's life from college to pneumatic climber to the eastern side of the sierra nevada
1: i had a pretty organic transition into climbing and living on the road was totally the thing that a climber would do and really just kind of dropping everything else and committing to climbing and really choosing Climbing every time there was a fork in the road. And yeah, it meant I lived, I've lived in three different vehicles at least. <laughs> um, and then there's the little Airstream trailer that is part of my life. And so I would spend winters in Argentine Patagonia and summers mm. in Yosemite or Alaska or Canada or sort of Northern Hemisphere, Greenland adventures. And then eventually, had a really sweet transition into working with Patagonia a lot and those guys have been incredible supporters of my nomadic life and also giving me a like really clear direction and everybody as a company has chosen to try harder to lobby on behalf of the planet and so that is not exactly what you were asking me. But, That's okay. Um. But it's been really interesting <laughs> to like yeah. see this transition with my life and all the like that it has become work. This passion that was mm-hmm. just climbing and just all these like wonderful choices I made as a climber led me into it being my job and really being motivated to share um, these crazy adventures with people in hopes to inspire them to go do the same basically and to follow their passion and to you know hopefully their passion is going to lead them into the wilderness which they will then fall in love with and help protect and so as this became my job and it it became more work basically and it was interesting trying to balance traveling full-time with actually being a good writer or a good communicator or a good artist. And so ultimately it became easier to invest in a home base and commit to a community than it was to just go from place to place. And so now it's been really cool because I have this community that is supporting me and I have this house where I can just like throw one backpack down and grab another basically in my one day transition but it's great like I don't have to find a shower I have one (laughs) and I don't have to find internet like I can just come home for a day and like get my work done and there's become this efficiency in Mm -hmm. having a home base that I didn't realize I had given up by going on the road and so it's cool I've totally become more grounded because i have a place to live but it also allows me to be way more efficient and effective and to work harder so it's cool to like kind of support myself in doing that i'm like oh wait like i could do better if i just had more tools i.e., a house to do to the job so It's really cool. Like we have a garage that has all the gear in it. And yeah, I can come home and just take a shower. It takes one minute instead of like trying to call somebody, hey, can I come over and take a shower? Or, you know, (laughs) find a rec center. Find a pool. (laughs) Or just go swim in the river or whatever. But anyway, it was really interesting acknowledging that because I was always encouraging people. I'm like, yeah, you should totally live on the road. I'm like, you are going to give up TV, microwaves, showers, you know, all the things. Like, I don't have a couch, I don't have a bookshelf, like, and it's great and it's wonderful and it allowed me to totally follow my passion and become the climber I am today. But to do more work than just climb, it's been really cool to have a house and a community and then it turns out, like, when you invest in a community, they, like, invest back in you. And there's something really special
0: about placemaking. And it sounds like from talking to you before this conversation and, and talking to you today that, you know, your upbringing was was this lovely balance between home and your family life, which sounds very supportive, and, and you know, the outdoors. And then also, I remember you talking about your mom and her garden. and And so it probably just makes sense to have a place of your own where you can, again, put some roots down and grow a few things, even if you're
1: not here to take care of them for two months. Right. They're still growing. They are. (laughs) It's a miracle. (laughs) Yeah, it's been really interesting trying to balance, like, all the things that I care about. My dad is a crazy biologist, and my mom is a crazy artist, and they um, Mm. really taught me to value both of those things. And so and they both love wild places and the environment. And so in climbing all the time, I was like, oh yeah, I'm totally balancing this like, place of beauty with this like natural landscape, and I'm learning about the frogs while I'm climbing, and I, you know, I have this biology degree and this art degree, and I'm really wrapping it all together. But in the end, climbing is not really biology or an art form, um, it is a physical, Thing that you do and then you're done and so to have a home base or to create a community really feels like you're building a sculpture or something even a garden you know it it has this three-dimensional sort of lasting impact on me anyway and um, it's been really amazing like getting to to create something that's tangible Whereas, mm-hmm. not that rock climbing's not tangible, um, but... It's a place and a thing. Well, rock, rocks are too. Rocks mountains mountains things. are things. But it's been really fun to, to think more deeply about like what it is I'm eating all the time. Like why am I ignoring that part of my... I guess I wanted to connect the dots between like this love of eating and the need to eat all the time with like where does that food come from and why don't I get to partake in the growing of it and maybe I can and so here I am like trying to grow a few things and it feels really cool. Yeah and you
0: plant you planted since you've since you bought your house you planted a few fruit trees.
1: Mark has called me a fruit tree hoarder once or twice. (laughs) (laughs) So the house came with a peach tree the house came with a peach tree and a cherry tree and an apple tree and a really beautiful white grape oh. and then since that we planted two plums and a pear and an apricot mm-hmm. And i think that's it oh and a fig and a pomegranate
0: <laughs> so you're a fruit tree hoarder and
1: a <laughs> a collector of fruit trees of puffy containers. jackets Rocks and yeah, random containers. Random <laughs> containers
0: for plants. Yeah. One of the things we've talked about is the intersection of these things. So, your rock climbing and this home and the roots you're putting down and this project that you're starting now, farm to crag. That was how I found you. Actually, I found you two ways. I found you through a mutual friend, uh, Jane Sievert. and oh, I love
1: it. We love Jane. Jane,
0: I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you were here right now. It would be more fun. And and she's like, we have to reach out to Kate Rutherford because she's amazing. She's involved in food. She is this incredible athlete, and she's starting this project, Farm to Crag, and
1: re- just reach out to her. What gave you the idea? And. And yeah, well, we've been talking about it for ages for a while. We called it the dirtbag almanac um, because we were just living on the road all the time. And it's like, where do you find the local lamb or whatever you're looking for? And um, so it's been sort of in process. for I mean, I, we've probably been talking about it for 10 years. And then two or three years ago, I met my partner, Linda Tyler, who has also been living on the road and she's a nutritionalist and um had a bunch of points on her map too and we decided to get our maps together and kinda mm. get our acts together and make this a real thing now. It felt really current and important to do it now. I feel like climbing has grown up a little bit and there mm. is actually a lot of climbers now and turns out there's more money in that climbing community now that will actually be spent on food. And so I'm like, okay, well, how can we channel that into the wonderful food options that we do have instead of just wondering about going to Albertson's and, you know, having the midnight snack at the donut bar? Like, we could do better than that as climbers. So the Farm to Crag idea really came about as a map so that as we're traveling to climb to all these like destination climbing areas. Like why can't there be a destination farmer's market or locally sourcing restaurant or, you know, farm stand that is paired with that on Mm. our little map because you know, there's guidebooks and websites out there that can totally feed the logistical challenges of rock climbing, but there's not really a way for climbers to link into like the local food economies. It's really simple and selfish because I want the map so that when I go travel, (laughs) I have that resource. Um, But it makes it really feel valid and easy to work on because it's like, well, yeah, like I want to create this for myself and my friends and family. And and then it became really obvious that it meant I got to be part of these growing communities too and actually meet the farmers mm-hmm. and, you know, have like a much more emotional attachment to the food that's being grown. And, um, and just, it felt so much more valuable once I put a face to the carrot, To basically. the carrot. <laughs> right, right. You're
0: closing that loop. You're, 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 bringing it full circle. You're yeah. part of it then. You're growing some of your own food when you're home, but you're also then inviting in that farmer or that source for that food. And uh, and and you're bringing the first farmer's market to,
1: to Yosemite. Yosemite
0: Valley. Yeah.
1: And that is going to start up in the spring next year, as soon as the first peas come, hopefully. But yeah, it feels really timely because because climbing is growing so much you know with the free solo and the Don wall and i mean obama called a climber like this is a really big deal um, <laughs> so anyway i think it's a great time to help climbers do it better you know and help our help myself do it better you know i was totally spoiled by my mom having this incredible plethora of organic vegetables um And whenever I would go away, she'd send me off with like a bag full of goodies that I'd kind of like try to make it last all week and eventually run out. And um, so I just, I think it's so important to have good food to eat. Mm
0: -hmm. And do you have stories from your travels that remind you of local food or experiences where you found local food and it's changed your, your, experience in the country you might be visiting or the region you're
1: visiting? Absolutely. One of the great joys of traveling is getting to experience local food, wherever that might be. One of the really poignant things is when it's hard to find good food and then you do, you know, and, um, or you're in the mountains and you're, you've run out of food and then you come back to town. And in Patagonia, it's really, um, obvious. There's a great lack of vegetables down there usually and then they have these really incredible asados where they um, roast a lamb over the open fire and you know it's just so incredibly rich and fatty and juicy and you know smoky and there's all the lights filtering through and the gauchos are got their knives and the gristles dripping and you know, it's very visceral <laughs> get, I'm in and it you're starving and you just <laughs> came off the mountain everything <laughs> smells good and smells so good there's like two potatoes and like a you know kind of pathetic salad of cabbage basically (laughs) but it's like the most incredible thing you've ever eaten because you're so hungry so it's really enriched my lives like wow like they grew this lamb you know it's been roaming around on the step down there underneath the mountain basically and to have all the different parts of it and you just cut off a slab that looks good to you and just being really directly connected to an animal that way um that came from that place it came from that place and this gaucho raised it and killed it and Mm -hmm. is now offering it to you and so yeah it's it, it makes it really special to see it in action like that and and yeah this is like this cultural staple down there and they're sharing it with you you know and i've really you know it's like a special thing now we might do that for a birthday or something like that this is like become this big part of our lives and a celebratory way to feast and then going other places I remember one of the first times I got to go climbing in Europe, we went to Slovenia and Croatia, and I was blown away by the developed world, basically. But um, there was all these cool apartment buildings in these villages, basically, but every apartment building had a big garden plot that was, like, at least as big as the parking lot. And so these beautiful garden plots were for the apartments, you know, because they didn't have on their balcony or whatever. Right. And so that was a really striking thing because in America, there's not apartment buildings next to gardens, really, or, you know, vice versa. Right, that's and so, not how space is
0: designated yeah. or And allocated. so
1: it's still obvious that it's important to them to have like this fresh garden vegetable in their life. And again, like going just to the gas station to get fuel on the way climbing, you could also get incredible bread, you know, like you would get at the bakery in America where it's like super dense, like rich, nutty, you know, wholesome, multigrain, whatever they call it, pan integral, you know, it's like all the integrated yumminess at the gas station. Like,
0: really? Like, Like, where does that happen?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, those were some really distinct memories of like my early climbing pairing with food life. Brittany and I went to the Ukraine with Mikey and we were taking these pictures in this cool market. Like, yeah, I don't know. It was like the Wednesday market or something. And this woman had this gnarly like purple hair and bright red lipstick. And she was this just crazy apron and really gregarious. And she was bossing us around about what vegetables we should be buying to make the proper borscht. And Brittany and I were like, oh, come on, we got this. Like, no, no. <laughs> and she was like, wagging her finger at us and... Telling us how it was done, and she sent us home with like a recipe and the garlic and the onions and like whatever herbs she had and all the beets, and we made really yummy borscht. And then we made way too much of it and ate it every day. For <laughs> and a then week. you got really sick of borscht. <laughs> that was the end of borscht. But just such a such a welcoming way to drop into a community, a community,
0: and experience that part of their culture. It's very hyper local. Mm-hmm. When we were talking about Farm to Crag, you were linking in the climate crisis and the fact that there's no time to waste and mm-hmm. that Farm to Crag is, and the idea behind it, this, this sense of hyper-local food or, you know, embracing your farmer or getting to know the community no matter where you might be, whether you're nomadic or, you're, or you have a home. Getting to know that food source, and I heard you use the word organic and and possibly embracing organic, is one way to begin that step towards solving at least one tiny piece of the puzzle of the climate crisis. Yeah. And so I guess I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and, and what that might have to teach us about this issue that is so compelling and urgent right now.
1: Yeah. So I think one of the reasons I feel so inspired about the Farm to Crag Project right now is that it feels like a way that's hopeful to talk about the climate crisis and what we might be able to do in a productive way to combat climate change. And I don't know, a couple years ago, somebody told me, That regenerative organic agriculture and healthy soil has the potential to draw carbon out of the atmosphere. And I was like, what? Why (laughs) why am I only learning this now? And I was like clinging to this sentence, basically, this one little comment. And all of a sudden, I was like, wait a second. We can just eat better and fix it? (laughs) Obviously, that's not how it works, but it kind of is. It kind of is. Like We have such a broken agriculture system where we are depleting the land and the nutrients and thus depleting our bodies as well, which is a whole other conversation, but that if we are really intentional around the way we grow food and the health of the soil and the biodiversity that's both in the soil and all around the things that we're growing we can really draw a lot of the carbon out of the atmosphere that is the greenhouse gas that's warming the planet. And so I just want more people to know that, Mm -hmm. you know? And even if we can't all buy regenerative organic produce all the time, we could start, you know? And, you know, I think that climbers have a really good sort of mental... I think climbers are really well versed in this kind of challenge, you know, where they're. I'm totally biting off more than I can chew. Like, this is a big project. You know? The Farm to Crag project. The Farm to Crag yeah. project. Or just, like, how to inspire people to have more value around food and or even just me like how do I actually buy organic and eat organic local regenerative all day every day Mm -hmm. like it's virtually impossible for me especially climbing on the road but It's not like I climbed the hardest climb first try. You know, you have to just walk out the door and start trying. And if you fall off and you buy non-organic tortillas, it's fine. You can try again the next day, you know, and eventually you might get there to this like ultimate goal of eating organic all the time. So I think it's easy for climbers to sort of wrap their head around that and be like, okay, like I can try my hardest and even that is good enough, you know, but I also just love how good food is and how tasty like organic you know nutrition dense food is just so much more fun to eat it's more fun to share like it builds community and so it feels really poignant to climbers in that way too who really care about their body and how it performs and turns out if you eat like seasonal produce that's grown in nutrient-rich soil, it actually works a lot better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Weird, right? Weird.
0: (laughs) How does that happen?
1: Um,
0: There's the, going back to what you were saying before about diversity, there's this diversity in the soil and this diversity basically above and below ground that is imbibed in the food that we're eating. And we need that diversity, those microbes, because we are mostly microbes, right, and the microbes that are in the soil are i mean I might be preaching to the choir here, but the microbes in the soil are are like identical to the microbes in our bodies, right. and it's like what built us well yeah and and growing organically mimics that, and those it's all part of the decomposition process and the process of sequestering carbon in the soil and I think that's partly why it tastes so good because we recognize it as something that's part of us and it feeds us and we need those microbes to digest the food. And I mean, and it just tastes better.
1: Yeah, it tastes so good. I don't know. There's something Carrots so... with dirt on them.
0: I know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I, I tell a story about that in my book where I was raised pulling carrots out of my grandfather's farm and I brushed it off. It looked clean. And I'm sure totally. that's why I had the immune system that I have. Not that it's perfect, but it's
1: better than most, I bet. Yeah, it's pretty good. Like, I, I just I think it's the dirt on the carrots that I ate as a kid. <laughs> but, I do think it's important. Like people don't even realize that's a topic of conversation.
0: And mm-hmm. so I think,
1: you know, even if you're just talking to your friends about it or your family, you know, we all have quite diverse families, and we might marry into extra diversity. And um, <laughs> hint, hint. But it's real. Like, some people don't realize that there are pesticides on things, and that, you know, there's some that matter more than others. Like, hey, strawberries, like, there's a lot of pesticides on strawberries. So if you were going to buy one thing that was organic... For your health and the health of the planet, you know, strawberries might be a good place to start. (laughs) Right, right. On so so many levels. Right. And, you know, I think it's been really fun for me in the climbing community, which is super diverse, to try and figure out ways to talk to people on a level that they're ready to talk. You know, whether it's strawberries or, you know, whether it's offering them some brands like, hey, if you want to make this simple, like Cliff Bar, Patagonia, like there's a handful of brands that actually are making organic bars or granola or salmon or, you know, there are some people that are really thinking this through to the nth degree. And so you don't have to every day, you know, you can just mm-hmm. drop in and know that they're kind of doing that work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been nice to be able to communicate to people too Mm -hmm. just like to have these loyalties around you know and build that trust with a handful of companies Mm -hmm. and then it's not like rocket science every time you go to the grocery store you can just be like okay cool like i know this brand i trust it it right Mm -hmm. like great organic valley i got them (laughs) like they make good cheese you know one of my lifetime mentors has become one of my friends. It's really fun. And Yvonne Chenard will welcome us at his house anytime and he'll make us sourdough pancakes for breakfast. And Anyway, he has really instilled in me that, you know, you might buy a jacket every 10 years, but you have to eat three meals a day, every day. And that is the place that we're really going to make change. Mm-hmm. So... That helped me, I think, start Farm to Crag to think like, wow, yeah, we spend money on food every day and it matters even if it's only a dollar. Why spend it on an agricultural process that's broken and
0: damaging go- the planet and adding to the climate crisis. So much. If If you can afford to invest in your food, invest a little more in your food. Yeah. You might actually be paying less for your healthcare later because yeah, you're healthier totally. for it. And you're supporting the local economy, that hyper local mm-hmm. feel again, as much as possible. And, and
1: well, and I think it's been interesting. <coughs> hey, buddy, <laughs> watching <laughs> the, dog. the dog watch us, but it's interesting traveling a lot and buying food in all these different places. Mm. Americans spend less of their annual income on food than any other developed nation. Mm. And it's we that's weird. That there's a disconnect there for me and so trying to look into it a little bit. There's all like all these subsidies and there's like the oil companies are involved. I'm like, "Well, that there's really a disconnect there. Like, why, you know, why is, you know, oil and petroleum based fertilizers part of this health and food conversation yeah, that's kind of like, weird too isn't it right so there's all there's a lot of weird stuff that we don't necessarily so, need to get into.
0: <laughs> i mean but, but when you say it like that it's like oh yeah why is something synthetic in the food industry <laughs> it really make that how is that feeding me yeah or my family i don't
1: like right it's kind of a part of this conversation. Yeah. But I mean there are some really interesting politics that have sculpted our food economy and I think bringing value back into the conversation around food is a big part of our challenge. Like how are we going to commit as as a society to investing real money in food that we're putting in our bodies? And like yeah, food shouldn't be cheap. Like this stuff is really valuable. Mm-hmm. Like you can't eat gold. You know, <laughs> it's not sustaining. <laughs> right, right. So how do we really like make that shift? Like yeah, I'm going to spend fifty cents more on the organic spinach. Like whew. whoa, I know. Mm-hmm. Maybe one less latte.
0: Yeah, five dollar coffee at the coffee shop, or I don't know. But you're, I'm, I'm like the la- the worst Sorry. person to ask because I'm miss vegetable salad queen salad diva over here i'll I'll skip the dessert and have (laughs) extra salad (laughs) it's really terrible i mean it's not terrible but it's kind of
1: me too
0: i'm not objective when it comes to that you know it's it's interesting what you're saying i it's i had this very brief conversation with the same person yvonne chenard and he and we were talking about compost and I mean, we were getting—we were just getting into the weeds with growing, because <laughs> he's so—he's in, so into he's—he's so into his so garden good. and 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 food and this topic of food, and, and he turns to me and he's and and I've mentioned this in a prior podcast, but he turns to me and says, "Emily, have you read the Dorito Effect? You've got to read that book, The Dorito Effect." I'm like, "Oh, well, what is it?" And he's like, "It's all about food and how processed food is has has you know." broken this conversation that our bodies naturally have with food because you know Doritos they're meant to be taste like tacos and your body's tricked into thinking it's a taco but it's not a taco but you keep eating the whole bag because you think you're eating a taco but it's not a taco and and in reality if you just have real food you you can reconnect you can create this conversation again with with food and it sounds really simple, but it's a, a game changer. And what I'm hearing from you too, what, what I think is really interesting is, is okay, food's something we have to have every day, and you know, with good food choices, we're also doing something to benefit the planet and diversity and the climate, and sequester carbon in the soil to reduce the heating of the earth and. I mean there's so to do many it levels. Together. Like
1: I'm, yeah. Getting to like share food too, I feel like is such a powerful tool in this time in the world as well, you know. I think mm-hmm. there's so much mental health that can be addressed in really sharing good food with each other and not only in the like nutrients and all the chemistry that I don't know anything about, but Like in just the actual personal connections that you have with people because they give you a recipe or because the clerk at the grocery store actually asks what organic chard tastes like and what you might do with it you know and just like actually having these conversations and kind of getting off the phones and out of your house and actually interacting I think, stimulates your body in a totally different way than the television would. Mm-hmm. Or, or
0: your friend bringing herbs and bits of spinach and, yeah. and green apple cucumbers over to say, hey, what can we make with these?
1: Right. Like, how do we get creative and <laughs> make some tasty dinner? And yeah, it's such a more fun way to engage that I think people don't realize they're missing uh, real human a tr- connection <laughs> right real human interaction and not that that crinkles really stimulating or anything but oh no yeah it might be <laughs> uh, but yeah i do think that like part of our farm to crag project is to also really create a community dinner conversation and be able to have people sit down together and share ideas and just talk and be together and sort of provide like a nourishing space for for that to thrive as mm-hmm. well. Um,
0: right, so Farm to crag is creating this opportunity for a conversation.
1: It feels like a really useful way to use climbing stories and sort of the inspiration that I can provide around that to help start this conversation about regenerative organic agriculture and its potential impact on climate change. Yeah, so, it's powerful. And I I'm good at telling climbing stories and it's getting boring, and I need like a new challenge. (laughs) So let's just put an angle on that. Let's just go, okay, what can I do to make this like more interesting for myself? You know, like I want to do more, I want to do it better. And, Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, Yvonne again is an inspiration in that way. Like he got really good at climbing. And so he started making pitons, and he got really good at that. And, well, anyway, that's not quite how it worked. But he has really challenged me to think critically about why I'm climbing. He's like, why do you go there? It's always stormy. Like, He's like, go back to California, you know. But I'm like, well, Yvonne, it's the most beautiful place. He's like, ah, you're right. But he does really challenge me on, like, well, what am I going to do with that? And what, you know, why are you – continuing to climb and tell these stories like is it still fulfilling to you and Mm -hmm. and it is because now I feel like I can really contribute to our community Mm -hmm. with this I don't know inspiration around food and community and and just doing better in that way so Mm -hmm. thanks Yvonne for being
0: a good mentor I'd love to do some cooking with you I brought I brought a few things I brought some things from my garden to add to a meal and I'd love to see what you might cook up Good. Well,
1: let's go pick some herbs from the garden and move into the kitchen. That sounds great. Here, you take no, these. I'm all good. Remarks. Are you sure? Yeah, it's no, cold. I'm good.
0: <laughs> I kind of like it. It was 100 degrees last week. Okay, that's extreme. Oh, <laughs> Jack's going to help us. Hey Jack. Do you want to help? Yeah. So, of course, when I come to your house, I bring my dog, and he thinks that it's playtime all the
1: time. I should be playtime all the time. Okay, let's get some sage. I'm kind of into the medley. I'm not that far from my dirtbag days yet, and so I haven't refined my palette very well and kind of like mm. just a bunch of herbs together. I
0: think that's great. Is a little thyme?
1: A little thyme. A little thyme, a little sage. A
0: little bit of this, a little bit of that. I love a mix of flavors. We'll do a little
1: lavender leaf for two. And it's amazing
0: what a few herbs can do. They
1: can, oh, yeah. they bring so much punch and- And they grow so well here. I mean, they like a little water for sure, but- um, You kinda don't have to do anything. They just spread, it's wonderful. All right, what else? Do we want mint in the salad or is that too much? Oh, I think mint's fabulous. Yeah, these guys are pretty. And then let's get some chard. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So the chard does so well here. It like overwinters and reseeds itself, and it's pretty amazing, like how happy it is. I had this bush of chard out in front, and finally I just got over it and cut it down. Oh I was my like, goodness! You're done. Like <laughs> you're, you're done. All right, you're, you've you've outgrown your britches. It was just totally we gone to seed. We can do some
0: some leaves in the
1: salad. Oh, yeah, <laughs> let's definitely do some of those. And the bugs don't seem to do too much to the chard. Whereas kale, the... Pers- the oh, you I get more I get, um, aphids like, on aphids aphids your kale? galore. We'll do some beet leaves. We can... Your chard is really happy. Yeah. And I've been hammering it like all week.
0: We can put that in the salad. mm-hmm We don't have to put all of it in. I brought a lot of basil.
1: Maybe let's put some in a little base. Yeah. We can have later. it for later. Oh, All right, so there's the basils. What else oh, is that here? one's so pretty. That is pretty. Um, we have a couple of lettuces for our salad.
0: Oh, yeah, there's some Yum. lettuce. And there's more lettuce we can wash. I think
1: I put it in the fridge. Okay. This is
0: lettuce from my friend Nikki's garden. She was leaving on a trip and she said, here Emily, take this lettuce. It's going to bolt if we don't eat it Perfect. this week. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks, Nikki. We're going to enjoy every bit of every leaf.
1: Oh, we are rich and
0: bizzle. I know there's so much green here on this counter. I can't, I can't believe it. <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to grab a jar of jars here, or maybe even oh, a yeah.
1: cup. Here, we. there's these little ones up here that'll be good.
0: Oh, for, um, for the basil? Perfect. Do you guys need a beverage or anything? Oh, I'm okay right now.
1: <laughs> Water, whiskey, wine, tequila. <laughs> well, I'm just like, gin. <laughs> gin. We have gin. Okay. I'll take a little of that.
0: We'll definitely use this. There's these that's so
1: fresh. Yeah, those are pretty know what we're gonna do with those herbs anymore but it doesn't matter
0: please i thought maybe we'd put some in the those salad. we should put in salad well and those other ones um, we
1: oh those herbs are, i think we could put some of those in the salad
0: it would be really fun
1: maybe we should do a little oil and citrus and vinegar and herbs yeah for the salad dressing okay that sounds good be easy
0: i love it oh the mint. I am not just, I keep I know, talking about this so mint. Good. It's
1: so fragrant. Your mojito and mint. And my mojito mint, <laughs> which mostly we don't drink mojitos. We just put it in the salad.
0: <laughs> okay, so what did we decide to make? We decided
1: to, we're making tacos. We're making tacos. Okay. We're gonna have a big salad and we're gonna put the basil and the mint and the herbs in the salad. And the carrots that you brought, and maybe, can the cucumber go in there too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, And then we have some really beautiful ground elk. So we're going to put a little salt and pepper in the elk in frying pan and have some rice, and it's some sautéed chard. And that sounds great. All in a tortilla, which makes it a taco. <laughs> it's a garden medley in a, in a tortilla. Garden medley tacos. Yes. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Ice. Okay, Ow. I'm on that, and then I'll make the dressing. And the peppers. We've got to do the peppers. Okay. Okay.
0: We're oh, getting yeah, serious we're now. Peppers. There's lot to do. Wow, shishito peppers. Okay, your tacos. <laughs> I'm on drinks and, and on drinks. Uh, the... <laughs> and the dressing. Okay, I'm gonna, whoops. And there goes an ice cube. Whee! That charred is like a confetti in the pan. <laughs> I love the red stems.
1: I know, the red stems mixed with the white stems from your garden and um, it's the perfect little taco garnish. It's elf time, right? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Wow, those peppers are beautiful. How fun. They're fun. Hopefully, I've, I've never cooked them when they're quite this large,
0: so let's see how they...
1: They're so pretty. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, are all your cooking moments like this? I hope so, because this is, this is really fun. Mmm, that's beautiful. Mm, how much is the pepper? Oh, yeah, how are
0: they? They're probably hot. Really hot. Not <laughs> caliente hot, but
1: color. Calor. calor. Con calor.
0: Maybe he has to sit over here. No, we could
1: put them in some. Just oh, yeah, vessel. we could put them in a bowl. Yeah,
0: pick a bowl in a bowl. Pick a bowl.
1: Hi, Mark. <laughs> All right, here we go. The elk is going in the frying pan. Well, that wasn't that exciting. <laughs> It's sort of, it's beautiful. It is beautiful, but it didn't sizzle quite as dramatically as I thought it was going
0: to. So Kate's husband, Mark, is joining us. He is now here, the muscle power behind the cheese grating.
1: I'm ready to grate some cheese.
0: But, uh,
1: nothing makes audio like cheese being grated.
0: <laughs> Mark, do you, a, do you have a
1: beverage? I don't, I could let's, use a beverage. Let's,
0: let's beverage you. Mark
1: might get in on the tequila, cucumber. Okay. Basil action. Do you have a favorite glass?
0: I have to take a picture because this dinner is so lovely
1: and we just kind of made it up as we went. I know. It's amazing what you can do with so much fresh, tasty food and it's all so simple. And friends
0: and it's pretty wonderful. Yeah. It's on. Let's do it. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Cheers. 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 You can learn more about Kate at katerutherford.com, where you'll also find her jewelry, suspended stone design. Follow Kate on Instagram at kate rutherford and farm to crag at the URL of the same name. See photos of my afternoon with Kate and Mark on the blog at growwhatyoulove.love. Many thanks to Josh Bones Murphy for recording this conversation and to Kate and Mark for inviting us to their home and for their wonderful hospitality. You can tune in to the Grow What You Love podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and find me, Emily Murphy, on Instagram at past the Pistol. That's P-I-S-T-I-L is in part of a flower. Thanks so much for tuning in, and stay posted for the next episode releasing soon.
1: Nature is so amazing. Like, the frogs will be the exact sort of silvery white as the granite, and you know, just tucked in the little cracks a thousand feet off the ground, and you're just like, what are you doing up there? But there's yeah, little gardens and bugs to eat up there just as well.
0: Their an ecosystem, and somehow it's happening up there, whether we realize it or not.
1: Like, where are those tadpoles going in that crack? It's just amazing to me. I think it's so cool. And how did they get there? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a... Just, wait a second.
0: It's like a song I know. <laughs>